Four people from Sweden not only put their country on the world map, but also dragged the Eurovision Song Contest kicking and screaming into more modern times. But their attempts to reach abroad and show themselves and their music were made several times before 1974, when they finally stood there as a group in Brighton. This program was originally to be recorded with one of the members themselves. But unfortunately, there was no time, and through their manager, Gerald Hanse, they finally said no. What could they possibly be busy with? Anyway, since I was a big ABBA fan, since I was a child, I have read everything I could come across. And I realized a few years ago that almost all my books were written by the same man, Carl Magnus Palm. So instead, I contacted him. He knows more about ABBA than themselves. The idea was from the beginning to only do one episode, but it was completely impossible because we could not stop talking and delve into the topics ABBA, Melody Festival and Eurovision, which easily happens when I am talking. In this episode we will get to know how the road to Brighton went, how many songs were submitted over the years to the Swedish pre-selection, who sang them and what they sounded like, but also what happened behind the scenes in Melodifestivalen and Eurovision. In the second episode we get to know what happened after the victory in Brighton, why Björn and Benny wrote a song for Melodifestivalen already the following year, why Sweden boycotted Eurovision 1976, what happened to their collaboration with manager Stikan Andersson? Whether Agneta and Frida were enemies or friends? How many ABBA songs were recorded that were never released? And what Carl Magnus can tell us about the new album, Voyage? This is Eurovision Legends with your own Agneta Fälskog wannabe, Emil Lefström. <laughs> Welcome to Eurovision Legends, Carl Magnus Palm. Thank you, Emil. How are you today? I'm very good. I'm so glad to talk to you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I believe you know more about ABBA than ABBA themselves. So this is a privilege to have you here since the group members through the manager, Jörl Hanse, declined this invitation. And with that said, please don't feel like you are the second choice. Well, I am the second choice, so <laughs> that's fine. I, I'm used to that. That's all right. <laughs> Since I am the biggest fan of ABBA myself, I have read all your books and have, thanks to you, a big knowledge of about them already. And in this episode, we will focus on how they tried to get to Eurovision through the Swedish pre-selection, Melodifestivalen, and later conquered the world. Okay. Shall we begin with a short biography of the four members to put them on the map? Uh, can we begin with the oldest of them? Björn Ulvius, born in 1945. Yes, uh, he, uh, Björn was born in April 1945. 
He uh, moved to a town called Västervik in the county of Småland, Sweden's east coast. He grew up there. He started playing the guitar when he was about 13, I think. And eventually he joined a folk band. And they got a record contract with a record company called Polar Music, which was run by Stig Andersson and another man called Bengt Bernhag. So they signed this group, the Hooten and the Singers, to their label, and they became very, very popular in Sweden. They um, they recorded folk-style music to begin with, and then it turned into more like, you know, light pop hits. They sang in Swedish for the most part. Then, uh, if we're going to take them in, in order of age, next up is Anifrid Lingstad, known as Frida, who was also born in 1945, in November 1945. She started singing very early. You know, music was always a big thing for her. She was 13 when she joined a dance band in this town where she grew up called Tushhella. A small, very small town. And she sang in dance bands for a decade or so. And she had her breakthrough at the age of 21 when she won a talent contest. And she was, as a surprise, she was whisked away to a television studio and she uh, performed the song she won with, which was called En Ledig Dog, which translates as A Day Off, basically. Yeah. And that became her big her big breakthrough that was 1967 she got a record contract and everything after that Continuing to December 1946, when Benny Anderson was born, he started playing the accordion at age five or six or something, got his first piano when he was ten years old, and then he just played and played and played and played and played the piano every day, and still does to this day. (laughs) He played in a number of bands, but he was 17 years old when he joined a rock band called the Hepstars, And a few months after that, they had their big breakthrough in the spring of 1965 with a song called Cadillac, which they performed on Swedish television. My baby drew up in a brand new, brand new Cadillac. My baby drew up in a brand new Cadillac. And after that, they became the biggest pop band of the 1960s in Sweden. You know, they had a string of number one hits. They sold more records than anyone. They were, they had more concert, you know, gig bookings and stuff like that for for the duration of the 1960s. So they were really huge. And then uh, the youngest one in uh, ABBA is Agneta, who was born in April 1950. Like the others, she also started with music very early, started playing the piano at five, age five, I think, wrote her first song when she was six years old. Four small 
She began writing songs more regularly when she was in her teens. She had a, a girl trio and they performed locally and stuff. And then she joined a dance band when she was 16 years old. She had written a song called Jag var så kär, I was so in love, for the dance band. And they sent a tape to a record company. And the record company thought, well, we like this song and we like the girl. So they didn't sign the dance band. They signed Agneta only. She was only 17 years old. Yeah. And the first song they recorded was this song, Jag var så kär, I was so in love. And that became her first hit. She was number one on the sales chart with that. And this is the 1960s. So that was highly unusual for a girl to sing, and a young girl at that, to sing her own songs and have huge hits with them. So she was a bit of a pioneer. So yeah, so by the late 60s, that's that's where we find the four members of ABBA doing all these things. And only one year later, she released songs in Germany too. How did this come about? Um, Swedish performers, perhaps especially female performers, were quite popular in, in Germany in the 1960s. I yeah, mean, yeah. you know, singers like Sieg Malmqvist, for instance, she had like a parallel career in West Germany. Um, and had huge hits there, million sellers and stuff like that, and Lil Babs and Sylvia uh, Vretamar, um, Bibi Jones, uh, Nina Lissell, people like that. Lots of lots of singers. So, you know, she was blonde. She was a typical Swedish blonde, and so they thought, oh, we might probably be able to do something <laughs> with this girl here you know another another good swedish singer that we can try to market here so that's how that happened i think we listen to some of her minor hits in germany Mit 
Uh, can we go back to Björn? Because I wonder, between 1968 and 1969, he released four solo singles with lyrics by Stikan Andersson. Uh, why did he go solo? Well, by that time, 1968, where the group members were starting to think about, you know, what are we going to do? We we can't go on with the group forever. Who knows how long this will last? So the members, most of the members started studying at the university. And Bjorn was more like, no, 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 I don't want to. He started studying, but he was like, you know, I really want to remain in the music business. And and I know that Stig Anderson, he wanted to bring Bjorn into the company. He wanted him to make, you know, become part of Polar Music and stuff like that. So they had these songs. He had bought the rights to this song called Honey, which was a huge hit in the United States. It was number one forever. And he translated that and it became Raring. <laughs> and, you know, they needed a solo singer for that. It wouldn't yeah. be appropriate for, for a group to sing that. So they they asked him, you know, do you want to do that? And, you know, try to, to establish a career for Bjorn outside of the Hutan singers, basically. I val av mönster till gardin Ja, till och med i köksporslin Ja, ser din hand Och kaktusen är lika ful Som då du köpte den en jul Men blommar ibland Jag ser en sprucken vas och ler Jag minns så väl då den föll ner På tån på dig And Björn and Benny met in 1966 Yes, that's right They were out touring Both bands, the, you know, the Hootenanny Singers were out touring The Hepstars were out touring in June 1966 And they just happened to meet while they were, you know, the Hepstars were leaving this place where they had just played. And the Hootenanny Singers were going to the same place to do their show. They, yeah. These were only like 30-minute shows, so it wasn't like a big spectacular thing or anything like that. And uh, so they met outside there and, you know, wound down the windows and said, you know, hi, oh, you know, we're going to have a party tonight. The Hootenanny Singers were having a party. You know, they told the Hepstars, oh, you should come along. So, so they came along eventually in the middle of the night, very late at night, two o'clock or something. And there was like an immediate connection between Bjorn and Benny at that party because, you know, they, they discussed, you know, both were Beatles fans and both of them enjoyed writing songs. They were basically the only members in their, you know, respective groups who liked writing songs. So they talked a lot about that and say, oh, you know, we should try to write a song together sometime. And they actually did about two and a half weeks later. They they got the opportunity to um, to do that in conjunction with another party. And they went to this. First of all, they went to the basement of the apartment building where Bjorn and his family lived, and they started setting up instruments there. But you know, it it was very noisy, and it was in the middle of the night. So Bjorn's dad came running down and said, "You know, you're, you're waking up the entire building. You know, take my keys <laughs> here to to the paper mill where I work." And he had he had an office at this local pa- paper mill in the town of Vestervik. And he said, you can sit in my office, you won't disturb anyone there. So they went there and they sat songwriting all night. And by the time they were finished, they had a song called Isn't It Easy To Say, which the Hepstars recorded later that year. Today, what could I say, my Lord, how I miss her? I'm sitting alone, healing my wounds. 
beat of the whisper Isn't it easy to say I go my way And I the first one to pray That she will stay And two years later, Agneta Fälskog composed a song called Försonade for the singer Gunnar Wiklund, who was invited to participate in Melodifestivalen and search for songs. But that song was rejected. Do you know if this was the first year a member of ABBA submitted a song to the Swedish pre-selection for Eurovision? Well, as far as I know, this is this was the first time. I don't know if... Of the, I mean, it would have been Bjorn or Benny who tried maybe, but I, I hadn't, I've never heard that they did that. In any way, Gunnar Wiklund competed in 1968, but with another song. And the year after, in 1969, both Benny Andersson and Annefrid Lingstad competed. Benny is a composer, together with the Eurovision contestant from 1975, Lasse Berghagen, and Annefrid as a singer. What can you tell us about the two songs, Hey Clown and Härlig Evojord? Well, Hey Clown was written by Benny Anderson and Lasse Bayhagen, as you said. And um, this was a period when they were writing songs together for whatever reason. I'm not, is, I'm not entirely certain how they started writing songs, but they were a team and they were more prolific than Bjorn and Benny as a team <laughs> at this time. So yeah. they wrote this song together. And that's basically all I know about it. And they, you know, it was performed by Jan Malmsjö in the contest. And for the first time in the Melody Festival, and two entries ended up as winners. Yes, yes. It was a bit of a drama there because they ended up with the same score. Hey Clown and this other song called Jude Min Ven, which was recorded as Dear Mr. Jones in English. <laughs> yeah. Watching the kids on a Monday morning, dads at work on a play. Loads to be done, but it keeps on joining, cursing the break of day. Ask the bank man for a loan, tell him all about your home. Get a friend for life, just like your wife ought to be here, Mr. Jones. They both ended up with the same score. They were both at number one, so to speak, because they had the exact same score. But then they, to sort of resolve the situation, they had a new voting just between those two new songs, those two songs. And that time... Yeah, uh, Minven came out on top, so that became the winner, and Hey Clown was number two. But it was very, very close. Yeah, uh, they they could easily have have won that contest with Hey Clown, and who knows what what how this would have developed, how history would have developed if they'd won. 
And Udemy then later got a ninth place in Madrid. And I think we need to mention here that Udemy then was sung by Tommy Sjörberg that also competed for Sweden in Eurovision in 1988. And he has been working with Björn and Penny several times and is a member of Benny Andersson's orchestra today. Yes, he is, you know. He, he sang in chess. That's when he started working with them for real. But there's also... Uh, interestingly enough, he he also sang another song by by Bjorn and Benny on a radio contest on Swedish radio in also in 1969, which was called Uzi Macduzi, which he never he never released. So that was the first time that Benny and Tommy uh, worked together. Mm. It, it was. It was not chess. Was not the first time, as most people believe. They 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 had a previous relationship. Yeah. And uh, the other song then, Helge var Jord, sung by Annefrid. I don't know so much about the song as such. It, it was written by Ivan Rienliden, who uh, you know was a songwriter, arranger, and um, i think he was connected to EMI, the Frida's record company at the time, in, in some way. And she, since she was an EMI recording artist, I guess it was natural that she performed this song. She deserved to win, but she didn't. She tied fourth, and the song never became a hit in Sweden. I mean, 1969 in Melody Festival, that was a really, really good year. Many, many, many really, really good songs in the in the contest that year, the Swedish one. Uh, and that year, 1969, I believe Björn, Benny and Stickan composed a song that was submitted. Juva 60-tal, that Britta Borg later recorded. 
Yes, yes, that's correct. Yeah, that was also a really good song, you know. <laughs> Fantastic I, I, song, I must say. Yeah, I'm not sure why they, it was rejected. It would have been made... I don't know to what extent it would have worked in the Eurovision Song Contest, but, it, but you know, it became a big hit in this country in 1969, so certainly it would have done well in Melody Festivalen. Man sa så mycket om sex Juva sextital Så man fick nya komplex Juva sextital Man for till månen I stora rör av plåt Stora tid Man bar sig åt Ju gamla It's a mystery sometimes how the selection juries, uh, their their line of reasoning, yeah. but for some reason something didn't feel right, I guess. And Brita Boy was the second contestant for Sweden in Eurovision with the song Augustine, which ended Ninth in Cannes in 1959. Uh, in 1970, the pre-selection of was cancelled as a protest to the fact that four countries chied for the victory in 1969. And in 1971, the Swedish television decided that three acts would compete. Family Four, Tommy Körberg and Sylvia Vrethammar. And that composer could submit songs to these artists. I know that none of the 15 competing songs in the pre-selection was composed by any ABBA member, but do you know if they submitted anything? They did. They submitted two songs. The Can Ingen Doktor Hjälpa, yep. which was recorded by Bjorn and Benny later on with Agneta and Frida on backing vocals. Which I don't think is a particularly good song. Um, it's, I mean, it's it's professional. All the elements are there, but it feels a little forced. I think it's it's uh, it tries to be funny, but it isn't. <laughs> The other song was Välkommen till världen, which I think is a Bjorn and Benny composition only. The other one had lyrics by Stig Anderson, which I think is a much, much better song. It's really catchy and upbeat, and um, I'm surprised it was rejected. But, you know, they uh, they had a big hit with that song, with Lil Bubs, and Bjorn and Benny and Jette and Frida sing amazing backing vocals on it. So that's a really, really great song, I think.
And I believe that song later was recorded in several other languages as well. I'm sure it was. I think it was re- recorded in. Uh, she, I think Lil Bells recorded the German version. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. And then uh, there was this uh, kind. Of, it's kind of bizarre that this happened. Uh, Lonnie Donegan, who was a very, very important artist in the 1950s in the UK because he pioneered skiffle, which was a very, you know, kind of folk music inspired type of music where you played, you know, instead of a, instead of a drums, you, you had a, what do you call it? A, a, a wash uh, thingy, <laughs> <laughs> which you, you did the rhythm on. Yeah, and yeah. instead of a proper bass, you had a tea chest bass, like a big box and a string. And so it was, you know, everyone could play that. And anyway, that inspired a lot of people to start bands, you know, like the Beatles. And I know that Bjorn and his cousin were also inspired by that to start the first band that Bjorn was in back in Vestavik. So he was really influential there for a few, for a few years. But now by the early seventies, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't really that big anymore. But someone wrote English lyrics for that song, Velkommen till världen. Um, I lost my heart on the 542. And uh, <laughs> and uh, Lonnie Donegan recorded that song. Uh, so it's, yeah, it, it's kind of weird how these things happen. I think, obviously, this must have happened because Stig Anderson was so good at selling songs abroad. Or, you know, he tried every everywhere there was someone who was interested in a song. He said, yeah, please, please, please take my song and write English lyrics to it. We, we want you to do that. Yeah. Please get it recorded. So I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how it found its way to Lonnie Donegan, but you know, it's a catchy song. It's a great song. So, you know, people should be lining up to record it. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that not more people were interested. I think there is a Norwegian version of it too. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, the year after, in 1972, Björn and Benny together with the manager Stikan Andersson got through the selection panel, finally, with a song sung by Leon Andersson, titled uh, Say Det med en sång. Before anything else, do you know if this was the only song they submitted and wrote for this project? Um, I haven't heard of any other songs. Um, I guess this was the song they submitted. I mean, maybe because at this time, the B-side of that single of Say the Min Song was a song called Cecilia. Uh, not the Simon and Garfunkel song, obviously. <laughs> and they, Bjorn and Benny had recorded a version of that in 1971, which was never released. So maybe they submitted that as well, you know? Cecilia, Cecilia, 
but obviously say the main song was you know that when you listen to that song you hear you can tell that that's the one with the hit potential love this song even if I'm not a fan of the singer Lena Andersson on a personal or professional level at all but this song was the big hit from that pre-selection and the song was recorded later in English too by Lena yeah I think they recorded the English version and the Swedish version at the same time. They traveled to London to record both those versions. So, you know, the, there are backing vocals on the Swedish version by English singers. So they had they had to learn the the, the <laughs> lyrics phonetically <laughs> so yep, that they yep. could sing it properly, which is which is interesting. And I think, you know, I think the reason they did that in in London with a with a an arranger called Arthur Greenslade who was quite you know quite quite popular and quite in demand at the time i think maybe that was part of you know Bjorn and Benny and Stig they're uh, thinking big you know thinking international thinking you know this this must sound like like an international recording so i think that may have been part of it while lena andersson was in the uk singing her song abba was formed how did this come about well There were many things happening at the same time in 1972. They, um, Abba, I mean, Bjorn and Benny had this dream together with Stig Anderson. And they were, I mean, Bjorn and Benny were employed as producers uh, at Polar Music at the time. Plus, they had a publishing company together, which they owned together with Stig. So they were like a trio, you know, who were trying to break out internationally and uh, Bjorn and Benny had done you know mostly over the past couple of years they'd done songs in Swedish and it, it had been you know schlager type songs light pop songs and maybe they were dreaming of doing English language pop music and trying to reach out of Sweden and in 1972 quite unexpectedly they got a big hit in Japan with a with a song called She's My Kind of Girl which they'd recorded a couple of years earlier yeah and that was released in Japan and became a surprise hit there it was you know it went top 10 and it's very very difficult for for non-Japanese acts to to have a breakthrough like that Look at her face it's a wonderful face and it means something special to me Just my kind of girl, she makes me feel fine. Who 
Anyway, with this success, you know, there was suddenly demand for more English pop songs from Bjorn and Benny. So they thought, okay, we have an opportunity here. So they they wrote this song called People Need Love and it was structured in such a way that it would work as a like like a call and response thing between male singers and female singers. So they said to uh, to Anita and Frida, hey, do you, would you like to do this song with us and let's see how it works out. So they went to the Metronome Studio in Stockholm in March 1972 and recorded this song and uh, that's where where ABBA were born basically. People need hope, people need loving, people need trust from a fellow Uh, and the year after, in 1973, the four members would compete as singers. Do you know if Ring Ring, Bara du slog en signal, was the only song that was composed for this pre-selection? I'm pretty certain, yes, because from what we know, they went out to this island called Vigsö in the Stockholm archipelago, where the other members and Sig Anderson had summer houses and where Bjorn's property came with a little small guest cottage where Bjorn and Benny had a piano and the two chairs and a table basically and where they sat would sit and wrote write songs. So they went out there specifically in early January 1973 to come up with a song. And it says in Stig's diary from that date that, you know, we wrote a song called Ring Ring, basically. That's what it says in his diary entry. So that would have been the only song they submitted, I'm pretty certain. Instead of an open submission of songs, the Swedish television invited composers to the competition and let the composers decide together with the Swedish radio and television who should sing their song. Was it decided from start that Agneta, Björn, Benny and Anifrid should compete as artists? Yes, I, th- I think so. Because by that time, we're now in January 1973, by that time, Bjorn and Benny and Agneta and Frida, they had started recording an album. They'd been doing that for a few months. They'd had a hit with People Need Love in Sweden. They'd also had a hit with a song called He Is Your Brother, which was a um, a radio hit. It was number one on, on a chart called Tio i Top which translates as the top 10 very important uh, very important radio chart so this was the group that they wanted to i mean this was they they wanted to promote the recording act and so it was self-evident, really, that uh, they were going to be the, the group performing Ring Ring. 
An English version of the song was made for the Eurovision in advance, written by Neil Sedak and Phil Cody. Why did they get someone else to write the lyrics? Well, according to what they said later, it was mainly <laughs> to get some attention, you know, to the song. Oh, wow, Neil Sedaka, you know, because Neil Sedaka was a, a big star in the late 50s and 1960s and, and you know, a respected person in the music business. Um, and Stig with his music publishing contacts, he knew him. And so, so that's how that happened, really. I don't think, I mean, if you, if you listen to the lyrics of Ring Ring, I don't think they're so, <laughs> so <laughs> complex that <laughs> Bjorn or, you know, Benny couldn't have written them themselves. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it's, it, it was, it was more like, you know, hey, here's something to grab your attention. Just they did anything to make things happen and, and, and make people sit up and take notice. The song Ring Ring has also been recorded in German and Spanish, but that was later, right? Well, not so much later. Okay. It was it was basically, I think, in the spring and summer, the summer of 1973, I think, yeah, July yeah. 1973. And uh, it was a strange time because at, at that time, I think there was a, oh, you know, if you want to have breakthrough in Germany, you better sing in German. But um, nothing happened with that German version. But well, but I think the English language version was quite a big hit in Germany. So I don't know why that was so necessary. <laughs> and the Spanish version wasn't released at all uh, at the time. It wasn't released until it was included on a, on a Spanish language uh, compilation CD in 1994, I think. <laughs> As we know, Ring Ring didn't win the Melody Festival and the four members of ABBA were devastated. How sad were they? I think they were really upset and disappointed. I mean, I don't think they they cried or anything like that. <laughs> but, but you know, they uh, Ring Ring was the favorite to win that year. Everyone thought, you know, okay, it's got to be Ring Ring. Not Not only them. And they, of course, thought that they were going to win. Uh, Stig Anderson was convinced they were going to win, you know, and this yeah. was going to be, finally, they're going to get to compete in the Eurovision, Eurovision Song Contest, and then the doors out to the world are open, and, you know, a, a glorious career awaits them. And, uh, you know, with the Neil Sedaka lyrics and the recording, which was kind of special as well, they'd, they'd really tried to be groundbreaking in, in the recording and, and then <laughs> nothing happens. So I think, I think mainly Stig Anderson, I think he was really, really angry and he even threatened, we might never compete in, you know, Melody Festival again if they don't change the rules and things like that. So. And it's correct to say that the Swedish audience was uh, not happy either. And uh, Ring Ring became the big hit in Sweden on the charts. Uh, I believe the Swedish version was number one. The English took second place and the album was on the third place due to record sales. 
Yeah, yeah. In two weeks, for two weeks in a row, that's how the Swedish charts looked. Because at that time, the uh, the normal thing, so to speak, is that you have one chart for singles and one chart for albums. But in Sweden at the time, we had a a chart that combined singles and albums. Yeah. So if it was an album that sold more than a single that week, that that was number one, and then you know, single might be number two, and so on. So for two for two weeks in a row in April 1973, that's how the chart looked. So that will tell you everything on how how big Ring Ring was, both the singles and the album. In retrospect, I think everyone's satisfied that ABBA didn't compete in Eurovision in 1973. But do you remember what you felt there and then as a seven-year-old kid watching ABBA get robbed? Well, um, I I probably I probably was disappointed because I know that I got the Ring Ring single for my birthday that year, my eighth birthday in April 1973. So. Quite clearly, that was my favorite song <laughs> <laughs> from the contest. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, in 1974, Björn and Benny were invited back to the contest together with several other composers. Uh, and I believe that they were not 100% sure that Waterloo was the perfect choice at first. And they thought maybe Hasta Manana would be a better song. Yes, that's correct. They... They recorded Waterloo. They wrote and recorded Waterloo. I felt, oh yeah, this this has got to be the one. But at the, at the same time, just around the same time, they they recorded Hasta Mañana as well. And then they felt, hmm, you know, this is pretty good as well. And it's it's more like you know Eurovision songs. Hasta like the the songs that have won for the past few years because you had in 1973 you had um, uh, Anne-Marie David with her you know French ballad uh, before that 1972 Après Toi Vicky Leandros so on going back it was usually a solo female singer and hasta mañana is you know like a solo number for anieta but um then they decided nah we're gonna you know we're gonna submit waterloo because that's that's the image we want to project and it's going to be different and we want to make a splash and uh so so they decided on that and i also also you know it would have been a it wouldn't have been a good thing if they wanted to present themselves to the world what is Frida going to do when when Agneta is singing all her solo parts you know yeah. it's better to have a song that where they both sing all the way through from start to finish i've heard that the working title for the song waterloo was honey pie 
have you heard the original demo of the song um i don't think i don't think there there was ever original demo entitled honey pie honey pie it was just you know da 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 something like that ah okay and the honey pie was a title that that stig anderson came across when he was trying to find the right title you know he knew that the title had to be something da 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 you know uh so honey pie or and then he eventually he he came across waterloo Some weeks before the show, a music group named Ajax sang all the ten competing songs in a TV show. And shall we listen to what it sounded like when Ajax sang Waterloo? <laughs> One of the artists who competed this year, Titi Sjöblom, the daughter of Alice Babs, who in turn was the first Swedish participant in Eurovision, she told me that Benny had said to her that they were afraid that her song should win since they had heard that the Swedish audience had liked her song the most when Ajax sang it. Do you know anything about this? No, this is this is true because uh, there are interviews from the time, from around the time of Melody Festival in 1974, where Bjorn says, you know, he they ask the group, you know, okay, so what do you think of your chances of winning? Well, I don't know, Benny says, you know, I think this Fröken Ursong by Titi Sjöblom, you know, that might win instead of us. Yeah. So, so it's, it is true. She told me also something about how people had voted through postcards and that Waterloo got the third most votes. Is this true or down the road fabrication? I don't know. Me, uh, me either. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard about a, a, yeah. a postcard voting. Yeah, I think I think that was also related to the, the Ajax performance, maybe because they were previewed. Ajax previewed the songs in a, a program called Sveriges Magazine. Yeah, for a week, I think, and maybe that's when they sent the postcards. So yeah, I I, I can imagine that. Uh, some of the postcard writers <laughs> may have preferred other songs. ABBA didn't only present a new style of music for the Swedish viewers this night, but also a new image. What can you tell us about their outfits that their designer, Uwe Sandström, did not design for them? Yes, that's, that's right. Uh, this was before they had started collab- collaboration with Uwe. Um There was a shop here in central Stockholm called Gröna Moln och Blått Gräs, which translates as green clouds and blue grass. 
and uh, they that shop had a kind of you know they catered to people who wanted something a bit unusual it was a bit uh, i mean not outrageous uh, necessarily but different and yeah. you, if you wanted to be seen and noticed you could go there and buy buy clothes and um frida you know she's always been interested in fashion and she she uh, would shop in there and and when they needed new costumes for for eurovision she she thought you know maybe they can help us and this uh this shop was run by a lady called inge svenneke so they went to her and said could you could you do this for us and she said yes so in col- collaboration with her they they put together this this outfit that was really meant to be seen you know it, it was meant to make a splash you know on television yeah do they have to pay for the clothes themselves or did the swedish television or the record company pay for them i'm pretty sure the record company paid for them oh yeah do we know how much they cost we don't know that no but how much do you think they are worth today Oh God, I have no idea. I'm I'm the worst person to to ask about how you know how how much this or that is worth. I I I don't know, but I I imagine tens of thousands of kroner. Uh, yeah, sequins are really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not because of the materials, I don't think. But uh, <laughs> no, just joking. Yeah. Uh, do you have any funny facts? from this pre-selection regarding ABBA that you can share with us or gossip? Um, um, nej. Nej? Nej. <laughs> well, I have heard that Titi Sjöblom, who was the favorite to win, she offered her place if she would win to ABBA. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting, you know. she, uh, the uh, Benny thought that she was the one who's going to win, So uh <laughs> and she was kind enough to offer her place. I know I'm not sure that she was in a position to do that really because if her song won, you know, it's not like they could change the rules and send another song instead. But uh that was very nice of her and very kind of her and I think she is a very nice and kind person. So I I'm not surprised if she if she'd made that offer. By a margin of 91 points, Abba won and got the tickets to Brighton. What happened then between Melodifestivalen and Eurovision for the group? Well, um, this was the opportunity that they had been waiting for. So Stig Andersson, ABBA's manager, he felt, I'm not going to leave anything to chance. Well, to go back a bit in the story, the thing was that it turned out to be a blessing in disguise that they didn't win with Ring Ring in 1973 because Ring Ring, the song, was still a big hit in Sweden. It was a strong song, so Stig still did what he could to sell that song all over the world, wherever anyone was interested and across Europe. And uh, many of these European and international record companies, they liked Ring Ring and said, yeah, 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 we're going to release that. And they did, which meant that a year later when they had Waterloo, they all of a sudden they had record contracts in place, or at least they had relationships with record companies in the UK, in West Germany, in the Netherlands in France, all these places. 
So now he could come to them and say, hey, I have an even stronger song now. And actually this year we're going to compete with it in, in the Eurovision Song Contest. And once that had been settled, he went on a promotional trip, just stig. He had all these promotional packs with the record and, you know, press releases, biographies, and he went to the record companies in all these countries, or at least many of them, and just said to them, okay, you have this record on your label, and we're going to be in this competition, and we're going to be wearing, the group is going to be wearing crazy clothes, and they're going to make a splash, and they're going to be noticed, so make sure that you do the best you can with this song, whether we win or not, you know? Yeah. So... Everyone was prepared, and and I think, in contrast to many other Eurovision winners or Eurovision people who participated in Eurovision, they were prepared because it's happened a number of times that you know this artist wins, but is the record released in already released in all these countries? No, so then maybe takes a few weeks or a few months, and then the interest maybe dies down. Meanwhile, but. Stig had seen to it that Waterloo was already available in all these countries. Yeah. So when they finally won in, in Brighton, then it was like pushing a button and everything became much bigger than it would have been otherwise. know what happened behind the scenes in Brighton before the show? Well, the things that happened, they they were, I mean, there were f- quite a few things. There was this, um, this, this party on one of the nights, you know, f- a night or two, I think, before the contest, where they had a bit of a scuffle with Mouth, Mr. Mouth, yep. <laughs> of Mouth and McNeil. Who I think had had a few too many, maybe, and he was like, "Oh, you know," he he grabbed Agneta and lifted her up in the air and said, "Oh, you Rabba, you know, you think you're going to win? I'm going to win. I'm the greatest." And uh, and Frida remembered, you know, telling me, telling him off. You know, she lost her temper with him and said, "You know, stop that, go away." You know, <laughs> <laughs> so that was a there, there was a bit of a. Uh, a mini argument, so to speak. I don't think it was particularly serious, but it happened anyway. Um, and the other thing was that because they they were you were allowed to use a backing track, um, a pre-recorded backing track when you performed the song. Yeah. But so Abba did that because they wanted to use their their professional uh, studio recorded backing track. Uh, the thing was that the the backing track was too low in the balance between the the live live vocals and the backing track was incorrect so that the vocals were too high so they and they tried to talk to the sound engineers and say you got to you know you got to raise the volume of the backing track it sounds crazy it's not supposed supposed to sound like this and finally 
Stig Anderson, you know, exploded. He ha- he wasn't, you know, he was short-tempered to say the least. And uh, <laughs> he just exploded and, and went up to people. Can, can't anyone, you know, uh, sort this out so that we get the sound that we want? And they finally raised the volume of the backing track, but I think they still felt it was a little too low, a little lower than they would have wanted it to. And yeah, so things like that happened during rehearsals. Among the participants in Brighton, we find Olivia Newton-John singing for the United Kingdom. The Italian winner from 1964, Gigliola Cinquetti. The German singer Irene Scheer competing for Luxembourg with a song composed by the Eurovision legend Ralf Siegel. And this was actually his first try in the contest and 23 more attempts would follow till this date. And we also had the duo that you talked about before that didn't get along, Mouth and McNeil from the Netherlands with the song I See a Star, which I believe was Agneta Felskog's favorite and also a favorite to win according to the betting odds. Yes, yes. I think they all thought that, you know, I See a Star would, would probably win. surprised you know because that's a that's a really great catchy song i love i see a star yeah right. uh so i wouldn't i wouldn't have been surprised if if that won and like you said i think they also felt that long live love by olivia newton john could probably be winner because the english at that time in contrast to today the british entries usually placed very high so they they thought that maybe that that could be uh, a winner instead of them as well. Is the rumor true that Ben bet money on them winning? Yes, yes. I don't think that's a rumor. I think it's a fact. I think I think it's been printed. In, uh, I think it was printed in a uh, in the newspapers and stuff at the at the time. And Stig Anderson also bet money, so they both of them did. I don't know how much they won, but they won something. <laughs> <laughs> because I think the, the odds were quite low. Uh, the odds were high to start with for for Waterloo, but then as the week progressed, the, the odds became lower. They were not favourites anymore. So, yeah. By a margin of six points, Sweden and ABBA won. Italy came second and the Netherlands ended third. A funny nerd fact here is that the United Kingdom ignored and gave zero points to Sweden, even though they sang about one of their biggest war victories ever. And isn't it funny since the United Kingdom later became ABBA's biggest market? Yeah, I mean, that's that's insane when you think about it, that they didn't give it any points whatsoever but we also we sh- should remember that they didn't have that many points to give that year it was not you know with this 12 
12 pointers and 10 whatever. Um, so they could only give their scores to about three countries or something. I don't, I don't recall. Maybe you, you probably know this better than I. I believe every jury member could give one point each. Yeah, exactly. So and they were ten members in a jury. Right, right. So, so if if five of those jury members gave all their points to one song, yeah, then. That was five points gone there, and they only had five points left. So it was a bit strange. Maybe they would have voted differently if the system had been had been different. But but it, but you're absolutely correct in saying that it's strange that they, you know, uh, and I mean Waterloo was a number one hit in the UK. So yeah, they uh, did like Nap- Napoleon and surrendered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, directly after this victory, their manager, Stigan Andersson, had to answer questions from a Swedish journalist asking, I'm going to quote, Last year you wrote a song about how you can phone each other, and this year you wrote a song about a battle in which thousands of people died. Comment on that? Yeah, I mean, that was the cultural climate at the time. Um, uh, you know, this was regarded as commercial music and... The reporter they sent there was probably just a news reporter. And what do you do in a in a superficial thing, music thing like the uh, Eurovision Song Contest, which isn't serious at all, etc., etc., etc. You try to find some kind of controversial uh, question to ask, find an angle. And he says, yeah, like you said, he said, oh, yo, it's a song about how 40,000 people were killed. Well, it, it is not a song about how 40,000 people were killed. <laughs> so he's, he was wrong. It's just Waterloo as a concept. Uh, you know, because, oh, so-and-so has met his Waterloo. It just means that you you have lost yeah. uh, in a in, like in a battle, uh, uh, symbolically speaking. And obviously, uh, Stig he was very angry when they turned off the cameras. He he lost his temper and really gave this reporter a piece of his mind, so to speak, and told him to go away, but in in <laughs> less uh, polite words. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The year after, Björn, Benny and Stickan competed in Melodifestivalen as composers for the fourth time. This time they gave the song Bang and Boomerang to the duo Svenne and Lotta, who they had previously worked with in Hepstars. How come they choose to compete again already the next year? Well, I think I think it was more... It was more about, okay, so we have launched ABBA on the international market through Eurovision. Do we have any other acts on the Polar Music label that could have an international career? Well, Sven and Lotta. Well, so what do you do? Well, to try to help them, you, you write a good song for them, 
so that they can be in Melodifestivalen and hopefully win it and then go on to compete in, in Eurovision. So I think it was more about that than, than Bjorn and Benny being so eager to write songs for Eurovision. Did they only submit Bang eller Bang and Boomerang to Melody Festival in 1975, or did they have other entries in the pipeline as well? Uh, I don't, I don't think they had any other entries because this was a song that they had already recorded for for ABBA's third album, and they felt, you know, okay, this is a good song, but we need to rewrite it, so they restructured it and wrote a new new verses and and things like that. So it's not like they had millions of songs lying around. The songs they wrote, they needed for themselves, for their own album. Um, So I don't think they had like two or three different songs that they submitted to Eurovision. Yet again, the three composers had to settle for a third place, and the song that was meant to bring Sven och Lotta to Europe instead became a minor hit with ABBA themselves. Uh, I've heard from both Peter Grönvall, who is the son of Benny, and Hadar Kronberg, who himself competed in Melodifestivalen this year, that the original demo version that ABBA recorded was way better than the version that they released in the end. Have you heard about this? <laughs> no, I I didn't know that they they had that uh, opinion. I I I I'm not sure I agree. I've heard that song, that that demo version, and actually you can hear it sort of because it was recorded as that's as it was structured. It, it was recorded by a Danish singer called Ulla Pia and released as a single. Hvis du ligesom jeg nu er forelsket, vil du sikkert ganske vel. Kærligheden får man ikke, før man giver en smule af sig selv. Hver eneste ting, du gør for mig, gør jeg gerne for dig. Det It's, it's much catcher the way they finally did it. Was it ever even a possibility that ABBA was going to compete with Bang and Boomerang themselves? No, 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 no. 
once they had done what they set out to do. Because, I mean, they were using Eurovision really as a platform to get themselves known in Europe. That, and once that had been, had been done, so to speak, then uh, they weren't interested to, to compete in Eurovision anymore as artists. This was in the middle of the 70s, and ABBA was heavily criticized in Sweden and abroad for making very commercial music and not taking any stances on political issues. And in 1975, when Melodifestivalen was held in Gothenburg, it was flanked by huge demonstrations against the upcoming Eurovision in Stockholm. And in parallel with this, the protesters even put on an alternative festival with 950 musicians that gathered a crowd of 12,000 people and was broadcast on Swedish television's second channel at the same time as the Eurovision Song Contest. And this is hilarious, but not in a good way, since we are talking about non-political public service. Well, these were strange, strange times in Sweden uh, in terms of cultural climate and uh, things. It was very politicized. I think I think the main problem here was that okay so there are problems in the world there is inequality there is a lot of poor people starving in the world like today it's, like today yeah exactly exactly etc cetera, etc cetera. and if you want to make the world a better place I don't think what you should do is to set your sights on uh, artists performing music just because you don't like that. And I think they they also miss the point, which is that, okay, sometimes maybe we want to listen to music that talks about, if not political issues, at least uh, issues that has to do with uh, the society we live in, the world we live in, the problems and reflections, philosophical reflections, whatever, but sometimes we also want music that is just music, that is a happy tune, that is catchy, that makes you feel good. And that has to be allowed to exist parallel with each other, I think. It's not one or the other, it's both. And to attack <laughs> a song festival like that and think that you're going to accomplish anything by doing that, yeah. I, I think is very sad. I think it's very sad that they did that. They should have taken all that energy and put it into something worthwhile, something that could actually have accomplished something rather than try to make people feel bad because they liked Ding-a-Dong or Bang-a-Boomerang. A more long-term consequence of this anti-Eurovision sentiment was that Sweden withdrew from the 1976 competition, which wasn't even broadcasted on Swedish television. Uh, we all know what this victory for ABBA later led to, but it wasn't so easy for them to have further success directly afterwards abroad. <laughs> 